what a win. Top four on the line and another one against the little brother. We won by 20. It could have been 40 and it should have been a Franklin kick more. One week, one win, top four. That's the equation. One week at a time. You are listening to the Swans Blogs Swans Cast, the number one Sydney Swans fans podcast. In this week's episode, we review the Swans' come-from-behind win against the Giants. We talk about Lance Franklin's amazing five goals, Kieran Jack's return to form, how good is that? We give you our Sunday champions and villains, discuss the selection of players, and review the Swans' terrific win. I'm Justin Mitchell, and with me is Swans cast regulars Joshua Ma and Stephen Park. Josh, over to you first. Pretty good win. It was a it was a great win. I, I I got a little bit nervous during the third quarter. I thought, oh, we you know we're going to finish with ten sixteen and lose by five points. But they uh, they you know they got it online. Um, pretty comfortable win in the end. Could have been bigger. Yeah. Uh, with the exception of some pretty shoddy you know yeah. ball movement by foot in the first half, I thought we were pretty good. It's probably the first game this year where our tackling on the ball carrier was up there for the whole match, and I was I was really chuffed to see it. Yeah, and Stephen? Well, Justin, I thought our intensity was outstanding. You couldn't have asked for anything better. I do believe some of our kicking, just as Josh said, especially in the first half, was a bit poor. But overall, a great win, even though we were playing against the weakened GWS side. Yes, they did have a couple of injuries during the game as well. They actually had four injuries during the game. Uh, Phil Davis did his back. He copped a really nasty cork early in the game, but he played out the game. Then there was uh, Finlayson, uh, Jeremy Finlayson, who did his ankle. I think he just rolled his ankle. He managed to play out the game. Jeremy Cameron rolled his ankle in the warm-up. Uh, and uh, Lloyd, or I can't remember his first name, but Lloyd, he copped a really nasty cut to the to the cheek, I think, in the last quarter or the third quarter. And he, but he did play out the game there as well. So they were a bit walk, um, walking wounded, as the commentators love to say. But it isn't like the Swans haven't had their own injury problems. Earlier this year, we were pretty much cruel by injury, and especially last week when we had two of our defenders, basically our best small defender, go off the ground before quarter time and didn't see him back. So... Yeah, do you guys think that the uh, injury list at GWS is um, right up there amongst the worst, or do you think it's uh, a little bit of a crutch at the moment for uh, people to lean on? Uh, well, it's well. I mean, <laughs> look at their injury list, though. So some of the people on that injury list are permanently on that injury list. So I think Deledio is Italian for strained calf muscle, <laughs> um, pretty much indefinitely now. <laughs> so they say, oh, you know, Brett Deledio is out of the GWS team because of his calf muscle, and you sort of go. I did well, forget really? to add. I did forget to add Ryan Griffin as well, who did his hamstring in the third quarter, but he's also been a permanent fixture of that injury list as well. Ryan Ryan Griffin is probably English for strained hamstring. Um, So (laughs) they've got some regulars on that list at the moment, and I think people people sort of forget that. It's like seeing Reid on our injury list and going, oh, well, Sam Reid's out again. Or Gary Rowan, yeah. Or Gary Rowan. So I don't know. Um, I think probably the one on their injury list that they really could have used was Kelly. Um, Yeah. Or sure, uh, definitely sure as well. Or sure, um, but uh, that might have actually worked in our favour because they would have been a little bit more conventional as well. Yeah, true. And Stephen? I actually think that the Giants, like many other teams, are actually crueled by injury. If you actually look at it, and I know Justin and Josh have just said that, yes, they've got a couple of people who are permanently injured, but a lot of those permanently injured players if they were fit, would be walk-up starts in any club in the league. Pattinson, Gladio, you look at some of those names, if you actually looked at their injury list, they're 20, what is it, 26 players at the moment? No, 21 players at the moment that are injured. 17 of those would be a walk-up start in most AFL teams. They do have a massively good list and a massive amount of injuries to a massively good amount of players. Oh, well, yeah. just oh, on that, yeah, they had only four AFL players in the Neffel game in the curtain raiser. So they really do have a pretty big injury list at the moment. I mean, the Swans about four to five weeks ago had one almost just as big as well. We had oh, nearly half the squad injured. The Neffel team, I remember, had about eight players in it from the seniors. Actually, I think they had two players and they had about eight all up, including the normal reserve players. So... Yeah, the the Giants are definitely in a bit of strife at the moment. Yeah, uh, yeah I, and... I, 
they can absorb it. Well, they probably absorb it better than than a lot of teams. The, the depth in their reserves team is quite extraordinary when all their senior players are fit. So they've been able to tolerate that a lot better than most of the rest of us. Um, uh, I would say that one of the and we'll probably talk about it later, I guess. But one of the big things that happened after halftime is that Luke Parker went head to head with Dylan Shield, and Shield was almost a non-factor in the game by three-quarter time. And I yeah. thought that was one of the bigger turning points in the game, not not necessarily the Davis injury. Yeah, and Stephen? I agree with what you just said then, Josh. I do believe that was the big turning point. But I actually think it's actually half the AFL's fault that this is starting to occur. I believe that the games are now way too fast and that all the injuries are coming from the amount of pressure that is put on players. Basically, these players start in November and finish in September. So they're they're playing and training year-round. The body is not designed to do this. Even elite boxers, you know, they start training about eight weeks before a match. Then they have two or three months off. It's just ridiculous that these human bodies are expected to stand up and actually do this. And this is why the Magpies, the Giants, the Swans, um, who else is there? Carlton have all had massive runs of injuries. I mean, you look at West Coast as well, you could... Kind of rule um, a line through some of those players. Um, Kennedy has been almost non-factor the entire season. Actually, like the last two or three years, he's been almost permanently injured. Um, Jack Darling's also spent a bit of time off. Um, they haven't missed a lot of players, but when those players have been missing from their team, they have been missing for quite a long time. There's also something on the injury front. We'll move on from this in a in a moment, but. If you go back about 15 years, a lot of soft tissue injuries um, happened mostly from collision. They weren't soft tissue injuries from running and the um, amount of running that players had to do. When you're looking at like uh, Nathan Buckley and Robert Harvey and Boomer Harvey, they were basically elite runners and they were running what I guess you would consider pretty average numbers these days. But 15, 20 years ago, players probably ran about 15% less, 15, 20% less. They potentially trained up to that much less as well. Yeah, That's exactly I think the, right. the medical coverage wasn't as great then either. So I, I clearly remember what, a former player saying that, you know, back in the day that a hamstring injury was just considered a three-week injury regardless of the severity. So they probably played through a lot more um, yeah. than what they do now. But I, I agree that the soft tissue strains from from overworking um, are probably out of control at the moment. I bet you 20 years ago nobody nobody would have known what, you know, osteitis pubis was. No one would yeah. have had it. No one would have overworked their pelvic girdle. So, um, well, they would have yeah, played they through it. Something. Yeah, I, look, I had, um, I actually had it when I was a kid, and I still played football with it. I can only play about three quarters of football. I'd always, every single game, I'd miss the first quarter, and I'd play the last three quarters, and then I wouldn't train at all until about the last ten minutes on the Thursday session, and that was about it. Did it affect your it, kicking? Oh yeah, it affected affected everything. But by the end of the game, like between like uh, I guess halfway through the third and halfway through the fourth, when you ride up your height and your warm and all that sort of stuff, everything's normal. But after that, it starts seizing up, and you just you can't really run, you can't move, you you can't kick, you can't really do much with your legs. But yeah, look, um, the injuries are definitely is more medical coverage, but I think there's definitely more soft tissue injuries, guys. Yep, I agree, Justin. And I'd actually say if you actually look at it, it's all got to do with the way we play games now. Because you've got all these players. Midfielders used to say, do your 10 to 12 kilometres back 15, 20 years ago. Now, that's your average player is doing that 10 to 12 kilometres. Your elite runners are doing your 15 to 20. And you've got people going backwards and forwards. And that's why there's so much congestion. Because everyone runs so much more. Therefore, there are so many more chances for injuries. Yeah, look, uh, I saw that on the AFL um, app. I'm just having a look, quick look now just to just do this and we'll move on from this in a moment. But I'm having a look at the tracker uh, and we look at the total distance covered. Lockie Whitfield, 15.6. Tim Taranto, 15.1. Harry Cunningham, 14.6. Um, I'm not quite sure which Keith it is. Is it Lockie Keith? I think? Yeah, Lachlan Keith. Yep. He covered 14.4, and Callum Sinclair covered 14.1, right? That is absolutely insane. And those are just average numbers. They're putting yeah. in then every single week. I remember, like, about eight years ago when I was doing umpiring, 
if you were running 14 kilometers a game as a field umpire, you were considered to doing like a lot of work. And these days, footballers are doing that. And there's some footballers doing 12, 13 kilometers within the first three, um, first three quarters. So it's, it's pretty insane how much they have to move. But look, we'll move on. Top of the agenda was uh, not the injury discussion, <laughs> believe it or not. It's Ooh. actually <laughs> <laughs> one month ago, swans were written off by all and sundry. Uh, we'd sunk to our lowest position on the ladder for quite some time after a pretty dreadful loss to Essendon, and then we somehow turned fourth from tenth back into an opportunity to become fourth at the end of the season. We were actually fourth after we beat GWS. So quite the turnaround, guys. I'd uh, like to get your thoughts on that. You first, Steve. I'm just going to quickly look something up. All right, not a problem at all. So, Justin, really, really good. I actually will freely admit that I was one of the people who wrote the Swans off here a seven, eight weeks ago. I actually thought coming out after the bye, we had injuries to Grundy that we thought was an injury, and then it came out that it was mental health issues. We didn't seem to be getting some of our good players back. Jack was struggling, Hanbury was struggling, and then both got injured. Our young guys started to drop off a fair bit and have seemed to picked up. Jones was getting himself into a bit of strife on the field. Yep. We got were starting to look like <laughs> Yeah, got himself suspended. We were starting to look like we were in a bit of a struggle. But we've turned it around, and I think we've turned it around on the back of our intensity and on the back of our will to win. I think yeah. the biggest turnaround has been that our established stars are starting to show what they can do again. And they're not quite performing to their great standards, but they're just in there. They're under it, and they're actually willing it on. Yeah, look, Parker's game was probably the best I've seen him play for quite some time. Definitely his best of the season. And you might even go back and say probably his best of the last two years or close enough to it. Certainly um, back when he was in grand, um, the, not grand final, Brownlow contention in that grand final year, back in 2016 when he came runners up or close enough to runners up in the Brownlow and he's actually leading um, with 18 votes, I think, after the first nine rounds or something like that, something insane. Then you look at um, Kieran Jack. His return of form was about as welcome as it gets. But also we discussed two weeks ago with, um, might have been Heather or Josh on a podcast, not sure, about the return of Dan Hanabry and how important he was against the Demons. And the fact is just been able to free up everyone else to do do what they do best. And Josh, do you like the turnaround? I love the turnaround. Um, I don't think it's totally unexpected. Um, I think probably what Steve's talking about um, is I was one of the people who said, and I think I might have said on the podcast here about three weeks ago, to be honest, that you know the way we were playing, that we were unlikely to win another game for the season. But where that comes from, the, the metrics we were putting out were shocking. And we actually ranked worse than Carlton in a lot of things. And I'm just looking at a couple of them now. Um, so we were the worst team to concede inside 50s. Um, we were the worst team for allowing the opposition in our, in our back half or in their forward half. We were ranked 14th. Um, which is right down there with uh, with the Suns, I think, at the time for contested yeah. possession differentials. Um, like we were shocking. We really were playing like a bottom 14, and the numbers backed that up. Um, and based on that, playing like a bottom 14, you, you couldn't say that we were like you know we were going to win a, another game that season without draw, based off those numbers. But gee whiz, the turnaround's been something phenomenal, and I'd love to see what what those numbers look like now, where we rank against the rest of the competition. And I can't wait to give the Hawks a hiding this weekend coming. Yeah, it really is amazing. And I'm going to put my hand up and I'm going to say I also wrote the Swans off. Um, I'm pretty sure I put it on uh, Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, and certainly said it in um, one of the podcasts where I thought maybe the uh, Swans really should consider putting the queue in the rack and uh, looking forward to next year because we do have some really good draft prospects. Uh, we've got Cole Dunkley, who's a father-son. So he's a bit like Josh Dunkley, an inside mid, but slightly smaller. So he might be more of the uh, Swans kind of player. And we also have the big one coming in as well, who has already committed, and that is Nick Blakey. So, and Buddy there is some... Buddy Franklin 2. Yeah, I know. Mm. 2.0. Could, could be more like Sam Reed. He's like a big, tall player. 196 who can play midfield and forward. Not with the So think of like an so. even... No, don't, don't do that. No, no. <laughs> no, he's like a taller sort of Jordan Dawson. 
the thing is, there has been talk in the AFL, um, certainly if you listen to Triple M, that Carlton and Gold Coast may be given priority picks and the AFL is actually looking to front end it. So Carlton could end up with pick one and two. And then Gold Coast would end up with pick three and four, but because they're looking to get a first-round compensation pick for Tom Lynch, they could also end up with pick five. Oh. So this is like, it's a bit of a discussion at the moment. There's murmurings and that there aren't a lot of people who will be happy with that because that is going to completely and utterly screw up the draft. And they're just going to bid. Can I just, bid for can I just throw something out here? If they get pick five for Tom Lynch, considering what Hawthorne got for Franklin, that is an absolute joke. Oh, 100% agree. Absolute joke. That would entirely, it would be like the Gary Ablett trade back to um, to Geelong, I guess, that it would be entirely about propping up a club and not actually doing something that's fair. So Franklin should have been the benchmark. So if they get five for him, um, and, and what Hawthorne got 20-something for Franklin, that would just be a travesty. But Josh, well, the fact that Hawthorne only got 20 is a travesty in this, to begin with. But yeah, go ahead, Steve. Well, you've got to look at it this way. When has the AFL done anything that is ever fair? You look at what they did to the Swans. Okay, maybe we need to change this conversation because we're going to be here for the next hour. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. I want to get back to why I think the Swans have turned it around. Yeah, please do. I I want to give you this. This is what wasn't happening in those four or five games that we played really poorly. And I'm telling you this, contested possessions and pressure acts, so their intensity... Isaac Heaney on the weekend, 27 pressure acts. Luke Parker, 24. Kennedy, 16. Robinson, 16. Ronk, 16. Cunningham, 15. Rampy, 15. Contested possessions. Parker, 15. Franklin, 14. Kennedy, 14. Jack. Yes, Kieran Jack is actually back into some sort of form. 12. (laughs) Isaac Heaney, 10. George Hewitt, 9. Now, that's what's actually turned our game. That's what we base our entire careers on is that and we've started to look like we did before the amazing thing about Heaney's game was he only had 13 possessions but 10 of those were contested and he had 10 tackles and he had three clearances it was literally about the best ever 13 possession game you could possibly ever have short of kicking short of going Ben Ronk level of kicking seven goals it was he was in a forward line who's in midfield and he's in defense he even um spoiled Tomlinson who was on a long lead of about 40 meters just outside the forward 50 and that was when the game was on a the line there was about 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter and we were only up by two points at that point yep agree and even our tackle count like we've got 68 for this week we we had weeks where we didn't even crack 30 and whatever our tackle count was you could double that and add another 10 percent and you'd come up with our number of turnovers so um <laughs> our uh, our, our, just our pressure's way up again. Back to, I mean, Swans football, that's that's where it is. Everything yeah, we've ever done has yeah. been built around that, and, and we're back, baby. Yeah, we are. Now, look, uh, we do have some... It's time for our champions and villains. Now, the amazing thing is that for our champions, only one of us has actually gone for a Swans player. And, uh, Stephen, I'm going to hand it over to you. You are the only one with a Swans player who is your Sunday champion. Please tell us why. Well, I've actually chosen this man for one simple reason. He's selfless. All he cares about is the club and his teammates. The man that I've actually chosen as my champion is Alex Johnson. And the reason I've chosen him is because he did his knee last week. He could have went into sulky and totally stepped away from the club while he decided what he was going to do. Yet, he was there at the game. He was down in the rooms before the game went and started. He was there in there at half time and he was in there having a laugh and a joke with the players after the game. This is a true inspiration and someone that we should look up to. This guy could have stepped away and went, that's it, I've had it, and just po- totally went into his shell, went into depression or whatever. But no, he's there for his teammates and he's there for his club. A true man. Yep. Great. Love it. Great. That's a great one. Great pickup, Steve. Love it. Now, Josh, uh, your one is from uh, the north of Sydney, so let's hear your champion. Oh, I feel a little bit uh, feel a bit inadequate following up with an Alex Johnson. Um, so Chris Fagan, the coach of the Brisbane Lions, has done some great things the last couple of weeks, which has really made me prick my ears up and pay attention to him. Um, he seems to be a great coach, and he he understands the demographic of his plays, and you know, and the sort of psychological level he's trying to pitch his message at. Um, and something that Lepich and Voss and Guy McKenna and, uh, you know, Rocket Ede probably should have paid attention to with their group of kids as well. But 
He's done two things which were great. And one was when Cam Rayner missed that goal uh, with a minute to go a couple of weeks ago um, by trying to kick around the corner instead of just doing a drop punt. He effectively lost the game for the Lions off their boot, off his own boot. And instead of getting crabby with him, he sort of took him in his arms and gave him a hug uh, pretty much out on the field and, and basically told him that, you know, don't worry about it. You'll learn from it. It's fine. Uh, you're going to win us games off your own boot in the rest of your career. Just, you know, pick, your, pick yourself up. There's nothing wrong here. Uh, you're just fine. And this week, um, with the, the lead-up to the Q clash, where one of the Lions players came out and said that the Gold Coast Suns aren't hard enough and we're going to flog them, um, he, uh, <laughs> he, the first thing he opened his, his post-game press conference with was that we don't stand for that. Uh, we were disappointed that it happened. Um, and it doesn't represent the way the Brisbane Lions want to go around things, and that it, you know, basically said it showed a lack of respect for their opposition. I just think he's a classy coach, uh, and and the more I hear from Chris Fagan, the more I like him. You know yeah, what I, like I really that? like that too. You know what I like about that, Josh? He's a Tasmanian, what? mate. <laughs> You've all got to stick together, eh? That's right. I love Chris Fagan. Oh, he's um, he's the best kind of coach they could have got up there in Brisbane. He, uh, the good thing that that's going on at their club at the moment is they aren't a results oriented club. They're a, they know they're in a development phase. They're supporting the development phase. They haven't brought in like a a, a or a Lepic to go. We want you to build the club, but you have absolutely no experience whatsoever. So just go out there and do what you're doing, like a like a herd mm. did. Buckley, I think Collingwood saved his bacon by bringing in the right um, right people around him. And, you know, he's been able to develop, but so many players who became coaches have just failed. I remember back to uh, Mark Harvey and uh, the fellow who was at Richmond uh, before Dimmer. Um, Christ, what was his name? Knight. Good old Knighty. He had a shocking time as well. So, yeah, look, uh, Fagan, I think, has done the, done the right thing, and he's he's doing really well for Brisbane at the moment. And it actually says... Now, the, I have... Before you go on, Justin... Go ahead, Steve. It actually says something about it, because if you actually look at it, Chris Fagan is a former teacher. He knows yeah. how to deal with kids. He knows how to communicate with the younger people. It's the same as Bolton. And he may not have been able to do it as well because his talent's not there, but he's the same yeah. style of coach. Yeah, and there are some question marks over Brendan Bolton's coaching at the moment. And like, he's a nice guy, Chris um, Brendan Bolton, that is, and he does his best. And Colton, their performances are up and down like a yo-yo at the moment. I mean, they had a pretty good um, pretty good effort today and they only really just fell short against the, the dogs and they could have beaten them. But uh, so many times over the last couple of years, their efforts have been found wanting. Now, I do have a hero or a Sunday champion. And this one actually happened about oh, maybe two minutes before we started recording this podcast. And that is Eddie Betts. Now, he has done nothing all game. He's done nothing all season. With a game on a line and my $1,200 multi up in the air for a good three or four seconds, he jumps on the back of, I think it was Josh Jenkins, and pulls down a screamer and goes back and slots it through. Uh, it was a terrific mark, and um, given the importance of the game and the fact that North Melbourne kicked four in like four minutes of just insane football, it was a great mark. So he's my, um, he's my Sunday champion. Now, villains, we're going to kick you off, Josh. I'd like to know your villain because I think everyone can relate to this one. Oh, if uh, if anyone, if you, um, I'm going to start again. If anyone managed to sit through the Geelong Fremantle game and watch all four quarters, you were either drunk or heavily medicated. It was the worst display of football you will ever see past quarter time where you actually thought, gee, Fremantle are in with a chance here. Um, the the weather was terrible. It was bucketing <laughs> rain. There was hail. And Geelong came out and kicked, I think, 11 unanswered goals. Um, and when I mean unanswered, I mean it was unanswered. Uh, Freo didn't even put up a point. Um, but Geelong then went on to put on 23 consecutive goals over the next three quarters and Freo, I think I've yep. put on four behinds. It was absolutely disgraceful. Yeah, it it actually reminded me of like going to one of those like under fourteens games, and you've got like a really really crap team full of like eleven and twelve year olds, and you've got a team full of like boy kids, and they're just kicking goal after goal after goal, and it's just like, please someone stop! It's like that Simpsons meme, you know, he's already dead, just stop. Yeah. And I, I tell you what, too, if you want to if you want to see a piece of masterful media management by a coach 
check out check out the post game press conference with <laughs> Ross Lyon because he owns a couple of the reporters in that. It was very Bill Belichick like if you follow the NRL. He, yeah. He has a disdain for AFL media, and it it showed. Well, I think the general rule of thumb is when you're up there asking Ross some questions, don't ask stupid questions because he's going to rip you apart. But or, or, <laughs> and he, he did did another good one. Or make sure you know the answer before you actually ask the question yourself. Oh yeah, I know because he's asking, "Do you know the answer?" No. How much is a few? I don't know, two or three. Mm. He goes, "Well." If I'm not qualified to answer that question, then you're probably not qualified to answer the question either. So why asking it? Oh, and Ross Lyon, it was, <laughs> it was it was great. Yep, and Ross Lyon, it was Hawthorne two years, mate. That's who he was talking <laughs> <Yep>. about. <laughs> now I have a villain, and uh, we'll do yours last, Stephen, because you're going to have to explain yourself here. And there's no coming back from it either. Now, my one is for the AFL, for their tinkering of the rules again. Now, anyone who's watched any football this weekend will have seen people giving away or they would have had free kicks paid against them for any kind of assortment of jumper punches or body hits. I suppose uh, the most galling one was Motlop practically throwing away the game against Collingwood at the MCG on Saturday. When he gave, I can't even remember who it was, number 37, I think it was, a bit of a whack after he'd already whacked him. Then, obviously, uh, Finlayson, I think it was, um, gave away a 50 when he whacked uh, Luke Parker in the side. And then there was another one earlier in the game when Hanbury gave away, uh, I think it was Hanbury who gave away a 50 for uh, whacking one of the um, guys in the chest. And, and But the thing is, it's not consistently paid either. There are so many instances where there are punches where they're right in front of the umpire and the umpire doesn't do anything. Uh, there was a really good example today, actually, um, between the Demons and the Eagles, where uh, one of the Eagles players really ripped into one of the Demons players and nothing, just play on. Yep. Yeah, there was a 50 so, meter yeah. against, paid against Daisy Thomas for something very similar um, today. Yes, and, yes, exactly. And that was the start of the run of the Bulldogs. You know, it probably, well, Carlton were never really in it, never really quite out of it, but that was the beginning of the end, that 50 meter, because it resulted in a goal. But yeah. they wouldn't have paid that last week. No, no, 100% not. Now, look, Stephen, your Sunday villain, uh, you got some explaining to do, mate. Right, okay. Well, Justin, as I said, I did have my Sunday villain as Buddy Franklin, and that was only because if he'd have kicked straight, <laughs> he would have actually been leading the common metal now. However, I'm actually, I remember I changed it, and I'm actually going to tell you why I changed my Sunday villain. And it's to the no, end. I just wanted you to leave this Buddy Franklin, no, but go ahead. I want this one because I need to. And I'm actually coming out of retirement around this, Justin. I haven't written an article. <laughs> what do you mean? You're not even 40 years oh, old. No, I'm coming out of retirement. I haven't written an article in the last 12 months for the blog, but I'm actually going to write one just Poor around form. this, and it's got nothing to do with the swans. But I'm going to put it on anyway. Well, I don't know if I'm going to publish it then. You've got to put swans in it somewhere. Yep, right. This is my argument. The AFL fixture is crap. It is the worst fixturing yeah, no arguments there. of any sport that I have ever watched in my life. The reason I say... Wait, is this a legitimate villain? This is the legitimate villain. <laughs> okay. The reason I say that, if you actually look at the way the roster is actually set up, you have Geelong versus Fremantle. You have a team that is vying for the eight or in the eight playing a team that is at the bottom. It shouldn't happen at this stage of the year. You have mm. the Suns versus the Brisbane Lions, two lower teams playing against each other. It's four points. You have Richmond versus Essendon, two teams that are within vicinity of each other. It's eight points. The Giants versus the Swans, it's 20 points, but you've got the fact that you had the injuries. You've got teams, Western Bulldogs, Carlton, two teams within the vicinity of each other, yeah. 18 points. Melbourne West Coast, two teams within the vicinity of each other, 17 points. If they actually fixtured the roster in a way that it actually worked out properly, it would actually be worthwhile. Now, I've got this whole scheme that I'm not going to go into now that I've actually emailed to the AFL at the beginning of this year and I've actually <laughs> resent it back to them again because they need to do something about it. If you actually have teams that are close to each other, playing each other, you won't have blowout games. Yeah. 
Oh, look, there's, there has been discussion over the last couple of years about conferences, about a fluid last six rounds, that sort of thing, about trying to, you know, get some really good matchups, teams that are, should be playing against each other, appropriate matchups and things like that. But um, traditionally, you, you look at North Melbourne and Geelong, they have quite often had very soft runs into the finals. Last year, Geelong had a pretty soft run in. They had a very soft run in, I think, two or three years ago, to the point where they were playing only bottom eight teams for about seven weeks in a row. So... Look, Geelong have always got the rub of the green when it comes to uh, fixtures. They always play their really tough games at home or in Melbourne. They rarely play them out, outside of um, outside of Victoria, so it's a bit disappointing. Um, they basically play away games at the MCG and away games at Etihad. That's not really an away game. I mean, sure, it's not their stadium, but, you know, it's not really an away game. But, look, uh, I think that's it for the villains and champions. So, on to the actual review. We're uh, about 30 minutes in, and we're finally going to talk about the game. But... It's a it's a game of two halves, and I think we can just skip the first half because it's not really worth talking about. We weren't very good, as we talked about already. Bad kicking, turnovers, we're trailing, etc., so forth. But the turnaround after first half into the second half, and especially full time, was uh, phenomenal. Uh, the, uh, the Giants they lost all of their run. Shill, uh, as you said earlier, Josh was a non-factor. Cornelio had four or five possessions after half time. Cullen Ward uh, had a bit of impact after halftime. He finished, I think, with 29 or 30 possessions, but he was still well held. He only had about, I think, 10 or 11. Uh, and Taranto had a pretty solid game throughout. Basically, Jeremy the Cameron. difference between... Rampy absolutely towed Jeremy... up Jeremy Cameron. Yeah, he did. He did a really good number on him. If you look at some of the stats, the Swans were plus 57 possessions, plus 7 clearances, plus 20 inside 50s, and they were mostly from the last quarter plus nine marks inside 50. This is just second half alone, and plus 12 tackles. They dominated them. They had 18 scoring shots to eight, which obviously they kicked more behinds and goals, but they still won by 20 at the end. Guys, hit me with stats. I didn't know I was supposed to get any. (laughs) All right. Kieran Jack, 22 22, Kieran Jack, 22 disposals, 12 contested possessions. Only major issue, disposal efficiency, 46%. Can't kick the ball. That's exactly right. Yeah. He had a couple of really good moments, though, in that last quarter. I thought his first and last quarters were absolutely phenomenal. Back to his best. He's a bit invisible in the middle quarter, so. But his intensity around the ball was outstanding. I thought he was actually really... Oh, yeah. If Hanbury and Jack could learn to kick... We'd almost be unstoppable, but because we've got these two players yeah. who are so good around the ball, but they can't kick. But you've got you add in Hanbury, Jack Jones, none of them can really kick the ball well, especially under pressure. Yeah. Well, there was a stat today on um, I think during the Carlton Bulldogs game where they talked about tackle statistics um, for all players in the league. Uh, Matt Prittis is right up there. He had I think the most tackles out of like all the players in the last sort of years and stuff like that. But Kieran Jack, he still averages five tackles a game. That's elite. That's, so when he's up that's there, reality level. Yeah, he's top twenty. But like, if they had a look at all the games he's played, all the tackles he's laid, he's laid over a thousand tackles in his that's career. That's elite. That's amazing. Um, I didn't realize that. Not quite Jude Bolton, Matt Prudis levels where they're laying like seven, eight tackles a game. But that's the main reason. Like with him in there and he's fit, not only is he a great two-way runner, but he, the pressure he actually brings is absolutely phenomenal. And I thought he brought that big time against GWS. Yep. Um, one th- one now, thing I noticed, one thing I, I noticed is that someone's following part of attention that George Hewitt is, uh, is an absolute yeah. weapon for us. And they worked really hard to take him out of the game, uh, especially in the first quarter. He was almost non-existent on the field. I can't remember who they played on him, um, but if they had designs to put him on Shield or Coniglio or something like that, it just wasn't happening at all. Um, Shield and Coniglio were having an absolute field day on us. Um, but yeah. uh, they managed to get him free by the end of the second half, uh, second quarter, and he went to Coniglio uh, to um, Shield, and then after half time they got Parker to go head to head with Shield, and Shield just failed the test. Um, Parker. You know, wore him like a cheap suit. Um, so that was an interesting yeah. point for me that that someone's finally paid attention to what Hewitt can do for us and tried to take him out of the game. Well, the thing is, right? He had five disposals at halftime, with two free kicks against, but three tackles laid. At three quarter time, he had eight disposals. Mm. So 
it really was like that last quarter that he actually finished off with eight possessions and uh, he won a lot of ball in that quarter as well. He actually took... Um, he, he finished with four hitouts. And he took a few marks as well, finished with um, with a mark and um, some other nice stats. But, yeah, they really did a number on him. They did their work, they did their homework, and they shut him down. Yep. Yeah, they did. Now, Franklin, uh, I, I guess a bit of a... Um, I guess divisive um, Brett Kirk medal winner. Now, his second half was pretty much buddy of old but look I think I thought Luke Parker should have won it what do you guys think I actually think Lance Franklin was probably it was a toss up because you've got to look at it Lance Franklin had 540 metres gained he went at 75% disposal efficiency he had 14 contested possessions he kicked 5 goals for that's a pretty good effort there's 14 contested he only had 16 all up that's, that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Yep. Yeah, he was uh, he was really superb, especially in that last quarter. He was literally everywhere. And this time he did call for the ball once, but he actually called for it in a better position, um, better position than last last week when he was calling it from like eighty meters out with about five guys right near him. So definitely, I would say this week was definitely better than last week against Melbourne. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, something that he... I thought Parker should have got it. I thought Parker. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised, and I think in the if you watch the footage again when they announced that, I think uh, I think you see a glimpse of Parker's face, and he I think he thinks he got dudded, and Josh Kennedy turned around and gave him a hug. Even, even Franklin was a bit surprised. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> it was interesting. Well, we did chuck out the votes to our listeners, and they did respond in kind. They actually voted six ahead of Franklin for Parker. So out of everyone who voted, Parker was voted the uh, the best player. On on the player ratings, we gave uh, we gave it to Franklin and Parker second, mostly just because Franklin was unstoppable in that last quarter and really was probably the reason we won that game, because we kicked 11 points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. We picked eleven points. At flashbacks to that, to the yep. you know the the Essendon game from last year. It was, yep, it was one of those games. It's like we're just missing, missing, and it would be like I'm thinking to myself, right? It'd be so Swans like for us to just turn the ball over. It goes down the other end, and they kick a goal. And what happened? It did. <laughs> but the Hindenburg, not related to Himmelberg, intentional alliteration. He hit the post. He did. So, yeah. For anyone who listened to the podcast last week, I made a joke, a really bad joke, where I said Himmelberg was... Um, it's Himmelberg not related to the Hindenburg, the blimp. Was so, that some kind really of a hate crash and burn reference? No, no. Just a uh, really bad joke in the, okay. in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Digging myself a hole. Uh, look, uh, third straight win against GWS which is really good because GWS had three straight against us before we started winning again, so we're ahead 11-4 out of 15. And Franklin has kicked 11 goals in the last three wins against the Giants. Um, Isaac Heaney, we said before, laid 10 tackles. Luke Parker was the leading clearance winner on the ground with nine clearances. I mean, GZ was pretty much the, the best player on the on the ground, arguably. And Josh, you had a really interesting stat about distance gained. Distance gained. I, I don't know how I'm how I, I noticed this, but um, we had four players who basically had two kilometres gained between them, and that was Luke Parker, Lance Frank, and Jake Lloyd, and Josh Kennedy, um, which actually surprised me because uh, the skipper was a little bit quiet in the first half, um, and then he sort of came out of his shell, but, you know, they basically had 500 metres each by the end of the game. It was massive. Um, I expect those numbers from Lloydy and, and Franklin, but for the other two, that was a bit of a shock for me. Yeah, and Stephen, what did you think as well? Um, well, you're actually forgetting someone there, Josh. Kieran Jack had 479 metres gained as well. Well, that's 2.5 kilometres. Yeah, so you've got Franklin 540, Parker 510, Jack 479, Kennedy 440, McVeigh 427. That is huge numbers what about from Lloyd? players. What about Lloyd as well? Lloyd was a 401. He was actually a seventh ranked player on metres gained. Where did Newman go? Because Newman was over 400, wasn't he? Newman was 369. Okay. Yeah, you don't get metres gained when you start chipping it backwards. Yeah, now, going, going, down to, um, <laughs> going down to poor old Robbie Fox, four possessions. Oh, God. Three tackles, 36 metres gained with his possessions. 
Yeah. He looked a bit out of his depth, yeah. didn't he? He did. He it was a weird selection. It was a really weird selection. I thought he was going to play in defence. I don't know what you guys thought, but I was adamant he was going to play in defence, and I thought it was a a good move to play him in defence, to play him against some of those quicker players. I thought we were going to run him as a as a sort of a marking forward to try and take some heat off Franklin, but I'm not really sure what we tried to play him as in the end. He sort of this weird sort of mix of wing half forward sometimes in the forward 50. I'm not really sure what we were trying to achieve with him. Just like I'm not sure what we were trying to achieve with Ronk. He also played Rocket as well, so he was in there to do the backup Rock duties, but I don't think he even got a hit-out. He got three. Three hit-outs. Three hit-outs. Yeah. yeah, but George Hewitt ended up with four. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, but you've got um, you've got to look at it from the other perspective that Jordan Dawson got, I think it was nine hit-outs last week, so he, as the backup Ruckman slash winger. I, I honestly don't know what they were doing with Robbie Fox. I actually, I really like Robbie Fox, but I just don't know the whole idea behind it. He only played 79 minutes for the game. He had eight pressure yeah. acts, but I just, there was nothing there. Two kicks, two handballs at 75%. So he, which is, you know, he got three out of four. And uh, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know what was the idea behind it. Yeah, look, when when we did the ratings, I, I had to um, I had to rate appropriately and I gave, I'm pretty sure I gave him a three. I don't know, like, you can't really fault him in some of the things because he was played in areas where he probably wasn't going to have much of an impact, but even when he was near the ball, he really wasn't doing much anyway. But, look, we won. He, had a, he did have an important handball about five minutes left in the game when we got it forward and uh, eventually got a goal. But other than that, I mean, he was literally not seen at all. That would be his first big high-pressure game for us, though. Like, I know he was he was pretty yeah. solid for us when we beat um, Geelong down at Kidinia, but... You know, uh, our guys lifted, and, and Geelong just fell off the planet after three-quarter time. So yeah, they did. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, look, oh, he's a good depth player for us, I think. Uh, I think he's generally reliable, um, but I think he'd like to have that game again. Yeah, look, I reckon... Um, I think Jordan Dawson was obviously the pick to stay in. Maybe they managed him. Maybe he had a... Um an issue and they just weren't going to say what it was. Mm. Brett Kirk, he did a pre-match uh, interview, which I chucked up on the blog, uh, that he said that Jordan Dawson was being managed off a six-day break. So, I mean, there could have been something there. Yeah. And he just didn't come up from the warm-up and Robbie Fox was the first in. Uh, that just might be the case. It might not have been a choice. They might have been forced to make that change. Looking but, at look, it, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. Going outside of Robbie Fox, another couple that um, really concerned me on the weekend was Tom Papley who yep. just yeah. wasn't there. Nine possessions, you know, and uh, basically three tackles. He didn't really do much, and he only played nine. Last win game, which if that's what we were doing, that that's quite a feat to pull off that win while managing players' game time. Well, you look at you look at this. Ronk, 76 minutes. Fox, 79. Jack, 83. Hanabry, 85. Haywood, 86. Hewitt ninety, so Hewitt only uh, was had twenty minutes on the bench, over yep. twenty minutes on the bench. So yeah. happily ninety one. It's really interesting. Yeah, you could also look at Ben Ronk. Um, I mean, he he looks like he needs to have a bit of a rest, but he was practically unsighted for three quarters of the match. I think. Um, I'll just pull them up now because I actually had the the possessions open. This is how this is how his game played out. Actually, uh, first quarter he had one possession, and he actually had minus one AFL point. He was actually minus one, if you could believe it. Then his <laughs> second quarter, <laughs> he got four possession in the second quarter with two turnovers, and he had twelve. At that point, he had one mark. He had one free against, and he had one inside 50 to go with his two turnovers and three possessions, really. Um, in the third quarter, he was still the bottom-ranked player. He had one more possession. These are all uncontested, by the way. Um, but what he did do was he picked up two tackles. And now in the last quarter, he um, definitely went a bit better. He picked up seven, two contested, uh, took two marks, and a couple other stats, so... Yeah, Ben Ronk is another one you can kind of put in that list and go, what kind of happened there? Mm. It's very interesting. He, but even um, Heaney, Heaney, Ronk, Haywood, like they did their bits when they needed to, 
like they, you, you know they're going to stay there. They might be managed at times. Yeah. But Robbie Fox was just an interesting one, and Tom Papley really worried me. Like, was he carrying an yeah. injury? Did he get a, a bad knock early on? I'm not sure. But, you know, you look at the um, the fantasy points, Fox 25, Papley 36, Robinson 37, then Ronk, yeah. Hewitt. Hewitt. Hewitt only got 46 fantasy points. Yeah, so, but he didn't have a good game. It, no. It was really only this last quarter. And look, there are some other players. Uh, we always talk about a couple of players each week. So for this episode, we actually have five um, five players to discuss, and then we'll move on to our um, social media aspect. But our first player, we've talked about him a little bit, Kieran Jack. So guys, just uh, give us one, two sentences on each player. Uh, Josh, I'll start with you. Your thoughts on Kieran Jack's game, where he's at, et cetera, so forth. Uh Go. Ripping first and fourth quarter um, was a real link man for us. Uh, can't kick, but has never been able to. Yeah, and Stephen. Terrific game, high intensity, great in and under, learnt, needs to learn to kick. Yeah, I think that's the overriding um, theme there is he does need to learn to kick. He's, I thought his effort uh, was right up there, probably the best he's played, or maybe for the last two seasons, and I thought he was really critical in the last quarter for us getting back in the game. Uh, the next player, Isaac Heaney. So he is a bit like um, good old LRT, Mr. Fix-It. He plays about five positions a game, forward, midfield, and our defense. Um, Josh, I'll start you off on Heaney. Uh, I, I renamed him Isaac McGovern earlier this week in one of our <laughs> blog posts. Um, uh he, his career is going to be even more interesting now that we found out that he can play as a backman uh, at pinch moments. That the last three weeks we've played him in some interesting positions, and he's that's paid off for us as well. Um, two weeks he took game saving marks, just amazing. Um, look, he, he probably should have had a goal by the end of it. That would be a shot that he would normally get, um, but and he didn't touch the ball that many times. He he got a couple of critical um, fists oh, in during the last quarter, uh, but his ten tackles were just sensational. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. And Stephen? Love the kid, love the endeavour. Had a shocker, next. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about if he had a shocker. He had 10 contested from 13 and 10 um, tackles. <laughs> My favourite moment of the, of the match, apart from when he took that mark, I think it was in the second quarter, the first second quarter on the wing, was when he got a spoil in on, uh, I think it was Tomlinson when he was on, on that long lead. And uh, as I said earlier, there was about 11 minutes left in the match. And if he got that mark, it would have been an inside 50 and there was every chance that they would have scored. So I thought like that moment, it reminded me a bit of, um, I don't know if you guys remember the um, the Andre Everett um, kind of mark and goal against Geelong. And then that same match, the Heath Grundy um, little sort of snatch with his hand. I think it was um, Bartel or someone was running past Grundy and he just stuck out his mitt and picked his pocket. No, I don't remember not. No, look, that, that kind of reminded me of that moment. So, look, it was a really good one. Now, Luke Parker, uh, we haven't talked about him, I guess, too much this year. But uh, thoughts, guys? Stephen, I'll start with you. Outstanding is all I can say. The amount of work and effort that that man put in for that game was just brilliant. 33 possessions, 21 kicks, 64% disposal efficiency, 15 contested possessions. Unbelievable. Outstanding performance for four quarters. Josh? Dylan Shields' daddy absolutely owned him <laughs> after halftime. Yeah, and it was a real four-quarter effort yeah. as well. Uh, I really loved it. No, he was did. great. I just really... I love those centre clearances in the fourth quarter, just get it, and he's just sprinting. He's hitting the pack at almost 100% by the time he gets the ball. Now, we've talked about this guy quite a lot. Um, I'm going to kick it off. But Callum Sinclair, uh, he's come up against two really good ruckmen in the last two weeks, uh, Max Gorn and uh, Brody Grundy. Uh, he's been beaten in the head outs, but I think, apart from Brody Grundy, who, I mean, Brody Grundy was arguably best on ground in that um, two-point loss that they had. But I thought he did really good against Max Gorn last week. He evened him up. He ran the ground. And this week, I thought he just absolutely dominated a lob. He's not a big possession getter. But he's really efficient and he's really effective when he gets it. And he gets clearances and he gets tackles and he gets pressure acts. And he had a lot of meters gained as well. But I was really impressed by how much he actually ran around as well. So, Stephen, thoughts on Callum Sinclair? Doing a great job. Excuse me. A little 
little concerned about his disposal efficiency this week. Other than that, outstanding. <laughs> you, you, need a, you need a glass of water, mate. <laughs> I think so. I just had some. Yeah, so I'll start that again. Try. You should. You need. A, you need a swallow before you talk. <laughs> Josh, make sure you swallow before you talk, mate. Uh, the big chief, um, I think he lost hit-outs in the end, but whatever he, he doesn't give us in hit-outs, he gives us around the ground. Um, there were patches in, the, I think it was the third quarter, he absolutely schooled Lob. Um, and Lob's not a spud. Uh, Lob just, Lob's a ruckman who occasionally isn't, is a spud. But, you know, generally he's pretty good for them. Um, <laughs> I, I was happy with Cal. I would have liked, um, would have liked a little bit more out of him. But I'll tell you what, um, there's not too many people who can say they stopped a goal with their head. Yes, absolutely. And look, that video is up on uh, Facebook as well, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, so that is up there if you want to have a look. It is a good old beak stopper, that one. He had no idea it was coming. Now, the last one, we kind of talked about him a little bit, but it's Ben Ronk. So, Josh, I'll get you to kick off Ben Ronk, please. Well, I'm not really sure what we're trying to do with him at the moment. You know, uh, we, he was amazing against Hawthorne as this, as this precious small forward and even though he's a medium size, but we sort of haven't really played him in that role again. I don't understand why. Um, he's, we seem to be trying to use him as some kind of inside mid slash, you know, wingman. Um, I just prefer to stick him up front. He's got really good goal sense. Yeah. I, I don't know what we're trying to do with him at the moment. Um, yeah. He needs a rest. I think he needs a rest. Yeah, he's goals. His goal sense is a bit freakish, that's for sure. Uh, Stephen? Yeah, I agree with you, Josh. I think he needs the rest, but I think they're actually trying to put him in the midfield because he actually has really quick speed. He's really, really quick off the mark. If you actually watch him, when he takes off that, takes off that first 5 to 10 metres, no one can catch him. He's not so quick after that, but that really flash hit he gives is quite good in the midfield. I think that's what they're trying to do but I don't think it's working just yet. No. I'd, I'd prefer to play him as a forward. Yeah. Yeah, look, his best game's obviously been as a forward. Uh, I did have a look at the stats um, a little while ago when we played Hawthorne. The top speed of that game was 36, I think, 36.5 kilometres an hour. Yeah. And that was achieved by our man, Ben Rock. He, he's, now, he's got two he hasn't... Whiskey. Sorry. He's got two games this year when he's kicked seven goals and five goals. If you put him up the front, it demands a response for them. And if he's not kicking goals, he should be creating space for us, though. I just don't understand why we're trying to play him further up the ground. I think they're trying to play him as um, maybe a tagger or something like that. that. That's all I can think of. I don't think he's got the fitness for it. But one of the really interesting things is the fact that if you actually have a look at the average moving speed for the game, uh, Zach Langdon was t- uh, 9.4 kilometers an hour. Lockie Whitfield was 9.3, but then you're not going to believe who, after, uh, obviously, Dan Hanabry, who was at 9.2, and he's known to be a very quick mover across the field. The next two were. It was Ben Ronk at 9.1 and George Hood at 9.1. Oh. And those are players, obviously, Ben Ronk, he's like, he's very quick, but him and George Hood, you, you wouldn't expect them to obviously have a cruise speed that fast across the field. So hmm. I think they're trying to play him as that outside, uh, like a really high forward flank or even like a tagger. I don't think it's worked very well for him because he just hasn't, doesn't have the tank or the fitness. He can do maybe one, two, or three bursts in a row, but then he's completely gassed and he needs to I wonder if we had a genuine tall forward option at the moment. All right, so look now onto our questions for our listeners. And look, we put out a question today. The question was, three weeks ago, did you think the Swans would have a chance at finishing top four? Now, obviously, in, we've discussed this as a group. I think we all agreed that we'd written the uh, Swans off back when we slid from 4th to ninth in one round, and we were as low as 10th at one point. So, yeah, look, uh, the, the crowd, they got back to us. Jonathan from Twitter, he said, as long as we had Melbourne ahead of us, I knew we were in for a chance. Cheryl from Facebook, yes, always keep the faith in our boys, even when they're down, never give up on them. Peter from Facebook, yes, for sure, the young bloods are getting us through. Andrew from Facebook said, do you think it's in our best interest to finish fifth because the Tigers will be so hard to beat at the MCG? I think on that one, guys, we did beat the Tigers at the MCG last year in a pretty good game. And uh, if we weren't so bad coming out after the bye, we could have actually beaten them at their head as well. Uh, Daniel from Twitter, 
three weeks ago, I was calling for a rebuild. So happy we're finals bound again. And Ali from Facebook. Yes, I did. I always thought Swans would finish top four. And Vicky from Facebook. Yes, yes, I did. Not only having faith in the boys, but also because the boys put up a fight. Seeing them come from behind and take cake... I'm pretty sure I miswrote that. And hit a high, no matter how high they fly. Take care. I'm pretty sure it was take care, but uh, might have been take the cake. Uh, questions from our listeners, guys. So I'll get you to answer this one for me, Josh. And then, Stephen, I'll get you to answer the next one. Amy from Facebook, she asks you, Josh, did Robbie Fox do enough to hold his spot? If not, who replaces him? Uh, nope. And Jordan Dawson. All right, that's it. Okay. Um, <laughs> fair enough. Now, Stephen Penny, who also for this one wanted to be known as Monique from Instagram, she asked, "Are the Swans the form team heading into the finals?" I would actually say no because the form team can't. You can't go past Richmond. Richmond are the form team. Richmond yeah. are the top side, and I would actually say. The form team going into the finals will be Geelong. And that's only because they've had an easy run in the last couple of weeks. But I think that's who it'll be. Yeah. Yeah, they always tend to get the soft draw, don't they? Now, guys, I'll get Josh to answer this one first and Steve to come in at the end. But Kay from Facebook, she asks, did Buddy come off injured in the last few minutes of the game? Josh, did you I, see this? I did. And I, I couldn't tell whether he was... Look, I mean, we, we always pull Franklin in the last two or three minutes if it wins a certainty anyway. Um, so I didn't think anything unusual at the time, but he did. I wasn't sure if he was having a scratch down there or, or he was actually sort of rubbing his groin, so I'm not sure. Um, but given the injuries he has played with that we know about, I expect he's going to be there next week. Yeah, and Stephen? Yeah, I saw it, and I saw him talking to the physio and pointing at his groin and rubbing it a bit. I would actually say it's nothing to worry about, though, because he came out, he was walking around after the game, and I don't think there was much happening. And he was really happy in the post-match interview, so I don't think it's a concern. Yeah, I'd agree with you guys as well. He kicked the goal. It looked like he kind of uh, might have just, I guess, overstretched a little bit in that contest um, when, when, before he got the 50-meter penalty. And he stayed on the ground. He, he only came off with about 30 seconds left to go. So it wasn't like he came straight off. He was on there for another couple of minutes anyway. But yeah, I don't think it's anything to worry about. Uh, guys, that's it for tonight's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure having you both on again. Too easy. I've I got to say, this bottle of red wine is uh, is increasingly getting empty as this podcast goes on. And Steve, I hope you've been knocking back the beers as a uh, temporary bachelor. Oh, yes, Justin, the temporary bachelor has drunk... A litre and a half of water while we've been on the on the podcast, so I've done really, really well. Soft. That wouldn't that wouldn't happen to uh, have a bit of gin or vodka in it. No, would. sadly it doesn't, because I've got to write reports. No, not much of. A... Oh, that's all right. You can always write a report, semi drunk. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> you get an A, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> As always, guys, we are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the tag The Swans Blog, and you can always get in contact with us during the week using the hashtags SwansCast and SwansCast Extra. Until Thursday night, when before we play the Hawks, that is, for our top four chance, go Swans. Go Swannies, and Justin, just before we wrap it up, just got to <laughs> send out a message to my old mate Ellie. Talk to you soon, Ellie. Have a great one. Go the Swannies. We'll get some, some strong players. Yeah, <laughs> not some lazy players. Don't you worry, Ellie. <laughs>